welcome everyone. Welcome to my, my parents' home in San Marcos, Texas. We'll be sitting today. So I'll invite the bell now for our uh, five minutes of sitting. And if you would, let's recite the four practice principles following sitting and we'll do the rope chant at the end. We'll reverse what we normally do.
caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Welcome to our house, <clears throat> not in Hawaii at this time. I'm visiting uh, my mom and my sister, and it's very interesting to engage um, with all of you, as we've done for months and months and months. But now there are two people, two dear people that I love sitting in the room with me. And this is our direction, isn't it? Hoping that more and more of us will be able to be closer and closer uh, to those of us we love. Uh, and it's an interesting feeling, of course. Um, it's a little disconcerting because it's so different from what I'm accustomed to, but it's so dear. As I look and just a few feet away from me, my, my sister on one side, my mother on the other, and my father's ashes and the urn right between us. So I've been reflecting on this coming and going <clears throat> and the liberation or freedom that our practice offers us, that all true, deep, wise practices offer us. To make sense of this coming and going, which eventually involves, of course, uh, living and dying. But there's a lot of navigation that happens in between birth and death. And there's a longing, of course, to, to not just be mired down in the everyday. And I think that's part of what draws us to spiritual practice. During my time in graduate school, I did some training at the University of Colorado in Boulder in, in biofeedback uh, with some wonderful people who were some of the originators of early biofeedback techniques. So I was very um, blessed to be able to train with them. And they invited me to work in their clinic outside of the university for a while as I was finishing my PhD. And uh, so I got a lot of good experience doing some uh, consulting and counseling, but also using um, biofeedback and other self-regulation techniques to help people with their, their struggles. And one client that was sent to me was a young man, a college student. And as many college students are, he was very 
um, full of energy and very idealistic. Uh, you also have to remember this was Boulder, Colorado in the late 70s. So Trungpa was still around, Naropa was being developed. Well, shoot, Mork and Mindy were being <laughs> filmed on the mall. So there was, it was an interesting time. And this young man, as I was doing the intake and getting to know him and he, me, he said, I just, I just want to meditate and, and do these practices so that I can meet God or be in the presence of God all the time. And having spoken to him, I knew that he exhibited, in my clinical opinion, what seemed like a number of issues that, of immaturity and idealism and that we would have to address. And so I said, how do you imagine that you're going to be able to go and meet God when you haven't left home yet? And he looked at me oddly. I said, it takes a lot of maturity to, to navigate that journey that you want to make, and you can do it. But it means you have to leave home. You have to become, you have to individuate, you have to mature a bit. And all of us have that question, really, about how do we mature in our personal life, our emotional life, our relationship life, because if we're on this inquiry today, you have some draw towards spiritual life. And you have to be mature enough to meet the inconceivable, which requires a good bit of undoing. Uh, one of the um, famous sayings early in, in meditation um, research was you have to be somebody before you can be nobody. It actually takes a good bit of ego strength to step beyond what we normally think of as ego. And there aren't any shortcuts. Maybe this is what we're always doing in this life, letting go and returning, leaving home and coming back over and over and over. So I was thinking about the phrase that, that we hear quite a bit in its various iterations, which is, you, you can't go home again. You, all of you have heard this. You, you can't go home again. You can never go home. And on the other hand, I was thinking of <clears throat> the name for those of us who have taken priest ordination. In Japanese, it's shuke tokudo, which means leaving home, sharing the Dharma. Even from the early days of the Buddhist teachings, home leavers were what the followers of the Buddha were called. But back to, you can't ever go home again. I um, did my usual spiritual search, which is, I Googled it, and to see, well, where did this come from? I didn't know the source. And some of you probably know this. I, I didn't. It actually came from a novel written by Thomas Wolfe. It was published posthumously in 1940. He died at age 37 of tuberculosis two years before. And we all, we all know this. You try to return to a place you remember from the past, and it's not the same as you remember it. My father moved to this city in San Marcos, I think when he was three years old, and then moved back in 1992. 
in his 60s. It wasn't the same. And Austin, where he'd grown up, was not the same. It, and he was not a person who navigated those kinds of changes easily. All memory is constructed from bits and pieces. And this, this phrase, you can't go home again, reminds us that the way that we remember the past is inevitably distorted in so many ways. Sometimes in a kind of an overly positive light, and sometimes in habitual painful ways, which we actually continue thinking about and continuing our pain. Because we believe what we think about things. We believe our thoughts. And mostly trust our memories as if they were actual recordings of events and feelings, but they're not. You, you may be able to go to a place, but you may not be able to go home to what you remembered or hoped for. And maybe spiritual practice has something to do with the willingness to always look with fresh eyes and an open heart and an open mind again and again. And this might be the true sign of maturity, which I was speaking to the young man about. A way of acknowledging things as they are, or in that strange way that Suzuki Roshi using English would say, things as it is. Speaking to both the relative and the absolute, things as it is. There was a, a quote from the novel that Thomas Wolfe wrote as I was doing my search, which I found very interesting. It's a, a bit of Dharma in a way. He said, or the, the character in the book says, something has spoken to me in the night and told me that I shall die, saying, death is to lose the earth you know for a greater knowing, to lose the life you have for a greater life, to leave the friends you love for greater loving, and to find a land more kind than home, more large than this earth. There's quite a bit in that, isn't there? Death is to lose the earth you know for greater knowing. That's the great matter. What, what, what does it mean to lose our body and open to the mystery? To lose the life we have for a greater life. That one we're addressing all the time in spiritual practice to let go of our opinions. That's why I suggested we chant the uh, four practice principles right away caught in the self-centered dream, to lose the life that I cling to, holding to self-centered thoughts, for a greater life, a life of freedom and liberation, to leave the friends you loved. We don't always have to literally leave our friends, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we find ourselves with new friends or a life changed because of commitments we make or vows that we take of new communities that we enter into. Leave these friends you loved for greater loving. 
how many of you have found a kind of a love that you didn't anticipate in Sangha? And later to find a land more kind than home. That, that one really goes to the very essence, doesn't it? To let go and to let come. To release the things we cling to and let life come to us on its own terms. If we practice the simple embodied immediacy through meditation and other practices, so we deepen our capacity to experience rather than just mentally construct and live in the virtual reality that we make up all the time. My own experience, I, I don't know about you, but my own experience is that so much of religion, classical, I'm making a general statement, I know, but so much religion tries to hold on to a lot from the past and to keep things moving forward in that same way so nothing will change. So you can keep returning home, like return to the same place, the same rituals, the same church or whatever, and you can recognize where you are and who you're with and the meaning of the situation and it won't be rattled. It's a kind of a consolation that suggests an unreal and unnatural permanence that just doesn't happen. And the kind of spiritual practices that we're engaged in and the paths that we follow maintain a stability through form, but that's, that form is there to hold a space and the kinds of relationships in place, which make it possible for us to do the thing that's really challenging, which is turn toward reality, not hide from it. And whether that's a meditation group, whether that's a recovery group, whether that's just your family and friends, do we have the kind of people that will hold us and say, yes, it is difficult. Yes, things are going to change. Let's turn toward what's real instead of attempt to cover it by something that takes us away from life as it is. This is a connection that allows us to do what's hard, to meet each moment, each moment life as it is, and to let it go over and over and over. So just a few more Reflections on this, you know, monastic practice, and at least in the Zen tradition and, and many others, uses home leaving as its ideal. Um, it was thought that it was too difficult to wake up when you're busy changing diapers and trying to make a living, <laughs> you know, doing the ordinary things of life. But although, you know, reality is right in front of us. Nothing's ever missing. Nothing's hidden. Realizing and fully appreciating and embodying and expressing back the truth of the moment can seem really difficult at times. Dogen says a hair's breadth, or in the Shinshin Ming, a hair's breadth deviation in heaven and earth are sort of set apart. It doesn't take much to throw us off. That's true. But sometimes we decide that we want to offer ourselves maybe for a period of time, maybe just a retreat to what looks a little bit like monastic practice, to step away from the entanglements of everyday life and see what it's like to, to just sit, to live in a simple way. And we find, of course, that we meet 
everything that we meet in other relationships, it's all there. And even if we don't leave home and go to the monastery, another level of attachment or leaving home is we discover how terribly attached we are to our bodies and to good health. Unable to face the inevitabilities of illness, old age, and death, the things that turn the Buddha towards his practice of awakening. And our culture, cultures, you know, whole industries are built on this struggle to deny illness, old age, and death. It's not that self-care is not appropriate, of course it is, but contrast self-care as deep appreciation and love for this life and all of its unfoldings and the kindness that comes with it. And contrast that with a grasping and response to denial and really honestly terror. It's a different thing. Self-care and an attempt to cover up. So we can go to the monastery or we just find out how we're struggling with the ways that we cling to things that we don't want to change. And finally, no matter where we go, we inevitably are going to notice how we're attached to our opinions, our ideas. How do we cling to our views? We just chanted caught in the self-centered dream, holding to self-centered thoughts. We forget that these beliefs, these thoughts are actually in our bodies. And so when we sit in zazen, in an upright posture, and offer ourselves in stillness and silence, just like we did earlier, it's a simple, straightforward form and an opportunity for all these impulses and fears to float to the surface. They don't go away. They actually come forward. And we don't do anything about them. And we get to see the way we use them to construct and reconstruct over and over our reality we think we know how to navigate, even when we hate it, but it's one we know. Either way, we get caught in what I call <laughs> hoping for a better past. You know, hoping that's, that like if we have enough therapy or enough spiritual, like it will be different back then, but it won't. The other side is, of course, living in a future that's fantasied. Or we long to return to a time, this sort of romanticized idea, return to a time when life was remembered as simpler. And we didn't live with the burdens of our life experiences, our traumas, our difficulties. Or another one is if we think if we just leave them, whoever they are, our <clears throat> unpleasant spouse, our family, whatever it is, uh, the, the place we grew up, then we'll be free. Or if they would just leave us alone, then we could have some peace. These are all the kind of fantasies we get caught in, isn't it? But you know the old joke, which is the the young adept goes to the cave in the mountains and meditates for 10 years and achieves enlightenment and does whatever and then they come home to visit their parents and are shattered to find that they're triggered in the same old ways. You can't come home again and you have to come home again. So homelessness, 
true homelessness doesn't have to do with whether I'm sitting here in my family home or my home on Molokai or some other place. True homelessness, true homelessness is the original or natural way of being, our true self, the natural way. It has nothing to do with where you're born or where you live. These are just circumstantial and not central to our being. I'm going to say just a couple more things and before we, we speak. I, I found something from Norman Fisher, who I often turn to in these matters. He said, meaning, our meaning, comes not so much from what you understand as from the way you do whatever it is that you're doing. Not from our thoughts, but how we actually meet what's in front of us. He says, far from offering a means to transcend the material world, the process of Zen practice deepens and opens the material world, revealing its inner richness. The everyday version of that is, if I can't find freedom right here in the midst of what remains of my family, it's not available. Bernie Glassman said, when he was speaking about everyday practice like this, he said, the bottom line for me is that the person, my student he's talking about, has realized and is living the realization of the interconnectedness of life. The bottom line is that they will realize interdependence and interconnection, and they will live like they understand that. He said, that's awakening. And this is what we find. And my teacher, Blanche Hartman, one thing leaving home means, she said, is to find your home wherever you are. To realize that wherever you are is home. Not to seeking for some special place. To make some cozy nest, but to find yourself at home wherever you are and in whatever circumstance you might be. And you've heard these kind of teachings before. It's important. So here we are. And I'm going to, the first person I'm going to invite is here in the room with me. I'm going to invite my sister Kathy because we can do it. We can actually be in the same place. So Kathy, come on over. See if we can make a space here, get close. Find yourself in the picture. Isn't this nice? This is what we're hoping for, isn't it? <laughs> to be able to be really close. So in this room where we're sitting now, right over there in that corner was a hospice bed. Uh, and I couldn't be with Kathy or mom, and I couldn't be at dad's side, but you were quite actively, the most active. And you were telling me the other day something that bears on these teachings, and I'd like for you to say it again because it's important for me to hear, but it echoes this. When you're talking about what it was like at the end where he was surprised. <clears throat> yeah, when it became clear to dad that he wasn't going to get out of the bed <laughs> and his body was failing and uh, he was kind of moving in and out. He'd dream and then he'd think it was what was happening and... But when he was lucid, you know, um, 
he just said, I never thought this would happen. You know, he said, I, I never imagined me being in this position. And it was kind of shocking because I was like, well, everyone dies, you know, that's like one of the things we know. Um, and to know that, but to have the experience, like I was talking about, to actually embody and to have the experience and to have someone next to him to whom he could say it, that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you? Well, I mean, I was a little bit surprised, but then not really when I thought about it mm -hmm. later because that's who Sparky was, like indomitable, mm -hmm. alive, large. <laughs> Surely I'll get up out of bed again. <laughs> yeah, I, and he always did. And up until that point, he had had setbacks and he always got up and he went to his cardio rehab twice a week so he could stay moving as best he could. And it was slower and slower, but he did it because he knew that was what was going to keep him going. And uh, yeah, I mean, I tried to talk to him about you know, he, he's a Christian. And so, you know, I thought, well, maybe if we talk about him going to heaven and sure. he'd be at peace and all that, but he wasn't having it. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, and the other important thing for our topic today is this, the situation that was going on brought you home, <clears throat> but it wasn't a return because, well, we're in our sixties and it was, a different situation, but you came home to live with mom and dad, and now you're still here taking care of mom because she requires it. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about what this period has meant for both the part that I was talking about, about leaving home, but also returning mm -hmm. home, mm -hmm. you know? What's it been like for you? Well, the actual returning um, started before I started living here. Because um, I came to a point in my life where I knew if I didn't start to heal the resentments and the wounds that I was carrying in the family, then I wouldn't have a chance because mom and dad were aging. And I didn't know how to do it, but I knew intuitively that if I became present with them and started having relationship because a lot of my life I had sort of avoided it that it would help me in my life you know um, it would I didn't really know what it meant you know I just knew it was important to do um, so it was I a great, what you asked me <laughs> yeah no. I'm just um, sitting here taking it in because it yeah. was a really courageous thing to do you're enacting mm -hmm. the essence mm -hmm. of the the spiritual path and program that you're in to help mm -hmm. you heal and part of it was the willingness to step right back into the mm -hmm. very thing that you were defending against yes and had um yes um and and um and having come to inquiry for the last year on top of the other work that i do um has really like that present moment, the teacher, you mm -hmm. know, um, living um, here with mom um, and learning that what my triggers are <laughs> specifically and um, 
and to realize that that um, that my um, other people's response to my behavior is not really about me. And like, we know that, right? Intellectually, we go, mm -hmm. oh, it's about them and not me. Well, I'm learning that. But the body response, yes. you feel it. It's, you know, that's very old patterns. And, and to learn how to stop and go, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Instead of that, you know, thing. Well, I'm imagining now that we're talking about it, if we go one step further, uh, my coming home this time and stepping back into a world that you've helped create and manage, um, and there's always been big brother, little sister, Flint following, I mean, Kathy following Flint, you know, all that. and. So that's another piece, not just parents, it's us. Well, I have to say that um, during this time, I feel like I've gotten closer to Flint than I've ever been since we were mm -hmm. little kids um, because I've learned how to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And he always, of course, is present when I do. Yeah. And uh, that's been so important and huge for me to, to uh, I'd been learning it for a while, but this is serious. <laughs> like, <laughs> I need help. And he's the person that knows our mother. Yeah, and dad, and know and the story. Dad, yes, and you know, sometimes I just need to share things because I know only he will understand in the way that I need to be heard. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's good. But also I feel like in the process, and, and it's, this is more, I'm asking you about it, actually. Mm -hmm. The We've also had to work on whatever barriers were between us because of who I've been mm -hmm. and doing the things I've done mm -hmm. and the way that the family's always seen me as the successful one and you the not successful one. Mm -hmm. I mean, to say it bluntly. The rebel. That's mm -hmm. me. Or was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That seems to be feeling different from my side. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I've heard you say in your teachings, you know, uh, wake up and grow up. <laughs> I have said that, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I've heard that over and over again. Um, and I've said it to myself over and over again. And so um, it's true. Coming here, um, being involved with mom and dad in a different way, um, like I'm the helper now. And um, I have grown up. Mm -hmm. I can finally say, I know what I want to be when I grow up now. It's pretty amazing. Uh, better late than ever. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, don't, I forgot what you asked me now. But <laughs> just... Um, the, oh, but the, we, the removing the barrier yes, to love that's between us. Yes, yes. And because, you know, I'm going to speak the truth here. You know, when Flint first... Um, started practicing Buddhism and then we went to his first ordination and I was just like, like everyone was all Flint, 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 you know, and this, you know, person. And and he's he's a wonderful, amazing teacher and, you know, and creative genius in so many ways. 
it runs in the family. Um, <laughs> but I being just, a little sister. I was just like, oh my God, this is my brother. And they're all like, woohoo, you know? And I, and, but I mean, it's true on one hand, but on the other hand, like ordinary, I've known him my whole life and, you know, we were kids together and the whole thing. And so, um, and, um, I, that was one of the things that I had to, um, come to terms with, you know, like I, when I would go to inquiry in Austin mm -hmm. before, you know, and people like, yeah, Flint has a sister, you know, it was, that felt odd. And, and so that was a, a place for me to work on my own resentments, mm -hmm. you know, and to, to ask, you know, it's like, well, all I have to do is ask and have your own voice for his attention. And, uh, I've, I've actually reached out uh, to someone here uh, recently in the uh, in the community, the Appomattox community, and I didn't say I was Flint's sister. You know, we got to that, but as soon as that arose, I said, "Well, you know, autonomy is important for me, and yeah, I'm Flint's little sister." But that's I'm, not my identity. I'm coming to you as Kathy, mm -hmm. <laughs> Kathy Sparks. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that was that was like a little baby step or a big step or you know something to to not only feel it but to say it you know to someone else because you know flint's little sister you know my whole life which i'm glad but uh it has you know carried some weight yeah it had, it had stuff you know. <laughs> and in the family you know also yeah yeah in the family too anything else you want to say or anything you want to ask me wow um, don't have to, but no, you got I, a chance I, here, right I, in front I, of everybody. So, <laughs> we've been having some pretty good conversations. We have, um, and it's it's such a blessing to have you here. So, thank you all. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being willing to step in. Absolutely. And it's nice that she doesn't have to go very far; only a few feet. And I. There was another person that I saw online that I wanted to call on if she is willing, because it's another family that has to do with leaving home and coming home. Um, oh, she's not there at the Steinbombers. I saw Emily a while ago. Yeah, she was she was with us for the Dharma talk and then she left. Oh, OK. Coming and going. Yeah, it was really very timely for us. How is it? Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful intensity. She'll be leaving to um, move into the dorm in August. So uh, the next phase. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let alone for you two. Who knows? But right, <laughs> right. Coming and going, coming and going. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I didn't know that she had. Uh, stepped away and I'd seen her earlier and I was going to check with her and see how she was you know oh yeah she would she would love that we'll let her know that you asked about her thank you so, so. Yeah. Um, and the other person I was curious to um, check with um, let me see if we're I have to scroll <laughs> a, a little bit to see if she's still um, well, I don't see her anymore. Oh, there she is, yeah, Susan. Impen, Impen, is she still here? Susan Empson? Yes, is she still here? 
Yeah, she's still here. Okay, great. Oh, there I am. And hi, Flint. You have someone to help you with that. <laughs> Thank you for your willingness to step forward. I know that you've experienced a lot of coming and going and with your kids and so many things. I just wondered what was present for you right now here today. Wow, I am in the middle of coming and going, it seems, and it even seems like I haven't quite, I don't even know sometimes whether I'm coming or going. Um, well, I'm still- that's the thing. <laughs> sometimes things leave us and sometimes we leave things and it, it's an, it's, it never stops. It's always moving, isn't it? That's true. And I was really touched to hear what you had to say and think about ways in which I can, I can feel at home in different places. So Texas, Missouri, I'm still going back and forth. Yeah. Um, still though in transition um, with my relationships and mm -hmm. um, looking to see the next step, but I can't see much further than that. Yeah. One step at a time. Um, that's, that's where we all are in a way. We sometimes delude ourselves. We have it planned and we know what's next, but, and we have to, we have to have plans and then we do our best with what actually happens. Yes. And I'm becoming more comfortable with kind of feeling my way, this idea of the next step, kind of what's the next thing that needs to happen or is happening. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like I need to be in control of it. Um, and I'm open to what will happen or is happening. Um, but I do feel a lot of zigzaggy. <laughs> yeah. So are you continuing to, to practice some, some formal practice, some sitting or something that helps you to come back home, come back home, come back home in the midst of all of this? Yes. Um, not as regularly as I would like, but what I have found myself doing, I do take my cushion with me when I go to Missouri. And of course I have it here. Um, and besides uh, Sunday service, I find, find myself often wanting to sit at night, mm -hmm. just like I'm, I, I just feel compelled to sit. Um, it's never been a regular part of my practice mm -hmm. to sit at night. Usually it's the morning, but I haven't been very good with mornings. Um, I've been doing a, an exercise routine for my back in the mornings sure. lately, so. But it's an interesting feeling, isn't it, as you go into the dark, instead of coming out of it, to sit, as you go into that space. And right now that's probably useful for you. It is, it also just helps me settle. Um, mm -hmm. Good. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your willingness to step forward and being called on like this. Quite a surprise, thank you. Well, I know that <laughs> this is a, you're in the midst of what we're talking about. And I it's, am. <laughs> it's very helpful for us. So thank you so much. And I think just for a moment, I'd also like to call Judy Myers up if she could come. She's kind of quiet these days and settling, but today's an important day, I think. Oh, here I am. <laughs> there you are, you're unmuted now. Is today Trey's birthday? Yes, today's Trey's birthday and uh... Most of you, many of you here know that he died suddenly at age 40 on Christmas Eve. Uh, 
2010 and left a wife and two very young children. So, you, so many things have come up for me uh, while you've been talking. Uh, you know, I will tell you all that in the middle of the night when my daughter came over to knock on my door and tell me this news, um, Flint was one of the first people I emailed. I have, we have a long standing relationship now. And so one of the things I'll never forget was that he said, you don't have to do this alone. We're all here for you. And I also remember in the process of this, that Peg said to me, your silence will be the most healing thing you can do. And so this was such a heartbreaking, life-changing experience for me that I was willing to do what other people told me to do. Well, those two things, sitting with Sangha. Sitting. Not alone in silence. Right. And uh, I've done that faithfully ever since because suffering jolts you <laughs> you're either going to live or you're going to die and Flint also said to me at some point uh during the first year or so now you have to be tray in the world and i don't think i understood that at first but through the years i've come to understand it more so there's a lot of things I could share right now, but this one, this is one thing I want to share okay. because you're talking about uh, leaving and coming home and leaving and coming home. So one night, <laughs> I've told this story before to some of you've heard it, but one night, I don't know how long it was after Trey died, my cell phone rang in the middle of the night, which I now keep on all the time because the night he died, I had silenced it. I've never done that again. And so I looked at the screen and it was him. It was his, it was his number. So I answered it and he was laughing and he said, I said, Trey, where are you? You have to come home. And he said to me, Mom, I'm fine. I can't tell you where I am, but I'm fine and I can do much more for you from where I am. Mm -hmm. So how can I say this? Uh, it's a mystery. I, he, he's gone and he's not. And we and when I and when I sit and I'm with you all, it's all it's all here. We're all home. But we, but we, but we're home together. We're home together. I learned that we're home in community. Thank you, Judy. Thank you. Wanted to honor Trey that way. Yeah, and maybe there are others who want to raise their hand and say a few things before we finish today. Please step forward if you have something you'd like to ask or comment about this practice edge that we're talking about. If you go down to the um, little reactions, smiley face, there's a place to raise your hand.
Hey, Kath. Hi. Um, my mom's brother died of COVID three days before Christmas. Oh. And we, my mom and I, uh, didn't feel safe to go to a public funeral and they decided to have one, but we attended via Zoom. Uh, tomorrow, I'm going home and we're going to have a family dinner with everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, like, uh, his name is Kenneth. Ken so Kenneth, uh, his daughter, his, his, his wife, you know, their family, extended family. Mm -hmm. And my mother has expressed that she does not want it to be sad and that she does not, we're, we've got a private room in a restaurant, but she has, has put uh, a lot of boundaries around what she wants me to be able to say or not say. And I want, I, I want to not respect her boundaries. I want to have the connection that I think that the other family members might need and that what our practice has led me to um, to be able to hold, and I don't know how to I don't know how to respect her and respect the process and offer to the family what I feel like needs to be offered. Mm -hmm. I think one of the possibilities in stepping through is you're going to have to let go of the idea of the family, and there are individuals to whom you can speak your truth, but I wouldn't say it at the table. Oh, okay. Uh, because your mother doesn't want that to be a communal thing. And you can say to her when she says, I don't want it to be sad, you can say, well, I don't want to be overwhelmed by sadness either. But if sadness is there, it might move through the room. Yeah. You know? but, but we love each other and it'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, the essential thing about individuation and maturity is that we start to have individual relationships with people instead of with the family. And you have one of those enmeshed families where it's the family. I know this just from history. Many of us do. Um, and so it's probably a good idea to respect your mom and just in with the communal thing. Uh, but have some talks with people, you know, and just Tell your truth, look them in the eye, even if you don't do much else, hold their hand, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because Kenneth was powerful in the family. It was important. Kenneth was powerful in the family. I mean, you, you know a lot of the history of what Kenneth was. Mm -hmm. um, and he had, uh, he had hey, such Kathy. an amazing dry sense of humor. I mean, he was a very funny person. Well, you might have to tell some jokes then. Yeah, so yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's interesting to me that out of everything, my memory of him comes to humor first. And lead with Kenneth. Yeah. You know, and like Kathy was saying that she was learning to ask for help, you know, and have her own voice. You know, what you want matters. Yeah. And, and so much of our family was don't have an emotional experience, period. Yeah. What you want matters and you don't have to, fight them for it and you don't have to get in a conflict with your mother but you can go to individuals and and have and talk, to talk to them as cassie like this cassie okay yeah thank you i'm thinking about you <clears throat> i was thinking about you i'm gonna move my camera a little bit okay
And they they have meaning. They have meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And I experience all of that meaning when I see those symbols. Good. It's important to Kenneth and yeah. a lot of people in your family. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Mm -hmm. Eileen. Oh, Eileen, I'm glad you're going to speak. I saw you wiping your eye. Um, hi, Flant. Hi. Um, my home going has been um, going home to my mother who passed away 10 years ago. And um, I was not able to be close to her when she died. Um, and I, even though we grew closer at the end of her life, she did not want me to be there. And I have felt a sense of rejection through the years. Um, and so I decided to try to think about my mother and my parents in a different way. Uh, and it came to me to maybe think of them as bodhisattvas because look, who they, look what they produced. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just threw that up in the air, sort of like pixie sticks. Yes, yeah, see how the they idea. fell. And this morning, as I was washing the dishes, it occurred to me that. Um, that uh, she was protecting me, she was rejecting me, but she was protecting me. She, because she wanted to protect me from pain and she wanted to protect herself from it. And somehow- And that was her strategy. Yeah, and, but somehow my re thinking that, that feels, even though I didn't want her to, that feels so much better than the rejection that I have been carrying and mm -hmm. the being pushed away. And so to me, I got to have a going home from a long, long, long time ago today. Uh, and yeah. so I just wanted to share that. And what your body just did, you kept doing this gesture of going home. Yeah. The, um, yeah. Almost like a refuge of coming home to your heart. Yeah. So, and then for you to speak of this and your family and your, I'm very, I'm just very grateful to be here uh, today. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just curious, how was it to listen to Kathy? Um, it was wonderful and, and I um, identified strongly with uh, the kinds of currents that she faced, even though the content of mine was a little bit different. Uh, and I felt, I felt very encouraged by her. So, and by both of just, yeah. it, it, um, it lifted my heart. I feel with her the encourage yeah. that she has. <laughs> yes, so I, I thank you. Thanks, Aline. We have just a couple of minutes in case someone has some last minute. They're perfectly welcome to come forward. Rosemary. Um, thank you. Thank you for this. Um, you dressed for the occasion. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yes. And actually, I was wondering if you chose your shirt to go with the background. Because, of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> but um, my um, leaving home is leaving my practice. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. But, um, you know, even the thoughts of it and the planning and, you know, I'm finding myself saying to people, I'm retiring soon. And I, 
it just, yeah, it's, it's leaving me very, very um, unsteady. Yeah. And um, take your time. Yeah, yeah. And I just I was having lunch and feeling that kind of in between thing. And I just said, well, more practice, you know, that will steady me. So and as you practice, and as you're sitting, <clears throat> sit with the one who had been a therapist all these years. Sit with that identity and feel yourself. That's something that I did enact, but it isn't who I am. But with respect, bow to her, appreciate her, and see what it's like to be in relationship with that role that has served so many people. You know, it's, it's, oh, someone said to me when I was at this place, they said, Flint, it's okay. You've helped a lot of people. And that really touched me so deeply. That simple, simple thing. It's okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I will do that. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. We're just at the end, but I see that Joan raised her hand. I want to make sure we connect. There she is. Um, I just wanted to thank Kathy deeply. Um, I have a dear, great niece who is the second. Uh, she's the second of four. And she has the perfect older sister. And her mother and her grandmother, her grandmother, my sister, uh, have just been on this young woman uh, relentlessly. She, there was a question that she would graduate from high school, but she is graduating on Saturday. But last week there was a question. She is absolutely gorgeous. And that has been a problem because there are all these boys and these distractions. And I just wrote her um, graduation card today. And I said in it, we believe in you. And we think good things are going to happen. And we can hardly wait to see where your path takes you. And I just felt like she needed to hear that. But it was so encouraging to see Kathy mm -hmm. where she is now in her life and to hear her confidence mm -hmm. and um, satisfaction with herself. And I just wish that for my great niece. Yeah, we do too. So does she. I can see her shaking her head. So, yeah. It's um, that just that statement that touched you is really touching me to say to someone directly, we believe in you. You know, that's something that Kathy has needed too. Thank you, Joan. And now we're going to chant the, the verse of the robe now. The space that opens through this coming and going. Vast is the robe of liberation a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, 
wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Flint. Appamada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support makes a huge difference. There is a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. This link will give you an opportunity to offer Dana to teachers such as Flint and Peg and, and also other teachers. You'll see an opportunity also there to um, contribute towards classes and practice discussions, for example. Thank you so much, everybody. And we now move on to the next part of our evening, which is uh, where we all meet on the virtual porch and we continue to meet and share about anything that we've um, that's come up for you during Flint's inquiry or anything else at all, just really just to meet. So if you want to take a couple of minutes break, please do. And we'll see you right here. So stay right where you are. Well, thank you very much, everybody. If you go into gallery view, you'll be able to see everybody as you're leaving or staying. <laughs>